I wanted to ask a massive favour of you. 80% of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow it. If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. It also helps the podcast grow more than you could ever know. So thank you. Welcome to the podcast that aims to do more with your passion for cars. If you're wondering how you can look to be more you and what that means, this episode might just be the one you've been waiting for. Generally, on the podcast, we speak about a guest's journey and how they've navigated life. But our guest's journey is no different. Today is about commitment and passion for cars and your journey of self-discovery. Health as a as an automotive creative and marketing professionals. The next five, ten years are going to be some of the best five, ten years you're going to have. That means anything could happen. I think the exciting thing is, and the thing that probably would have terrified me, you know, a few years ago, is is there isn't really much of a vision beyond indulging my passion. The thing that used to hold me back was this. I guess then they why not? Why, not? why can't you have that? That hundred percent, hundred percent, and everyone else, everyone else has has very succinctly in that why not me why not me maybe the advice you would have given to your younger self what would have been be very discerning about who you listen to i remember i must have been pretty young because i remember i was so excited that i went and slept at the foot of her <laughs> i mean I, I don't really know if it's so much of an escape more more a sense of belonging and i think it, it wasn't quite as sort of glamorous as as he'd made out I know now that obviously I wasn't doing what I enjoy and yeah. I wasn't doing what I love. This podcast is lucky enough to be sponsored by iliketorace.com, a brand new social network all about motorsport. And unlike other certain social medias, it's not toxic and it is just full of people that love motorsport and competition. I mean, I am competitive by nature to the point where I've got a bit too aggressive in certain ways. I mean, just to, just to think of the place I can now go to discuss McLaren and to discuss the ongoing drivers and who's going next. I was gutted when Daniel left, but I can't wait to see how they progress and get other people's opinions on I Like To Race. I'll be getting in there, getting involved. So if you're like me and you love competition and you love motorsport, and if you want more information, look to the show notes below. Now, back to the episode. Alex, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so a little thing I like to sort of start off with is, is just to get a basic understanding of who you are as a person. So I'm looking at sort of the influences you had early on and maybe your education, your parents. What kind of things happened there to, to make you the person you are today? Yeah, gosh. Um, I mean, obviously now, um, you know, for those that don't know, uh, sort of it's hard to really sort of <laughs> encapsulate in, a, in in short, what it is I do, but essentially, I would describe myself as a as an automotive creative and marketing professional. As horribly LinkedIn as that sounds, um, yeah, early influences. It's a strange one because I've always had this passion for cars. Mm. Um, it, it, it's been around for as long as I can remember. Uh, my my parents both said that it's been around for as long as they can remember. But it's strange. Neither of my parents really particularly had much of a, a an interest in cars i mean mm. at a push my dad had a bit of a passing interest um but but not enough to sort of spawn the the sort of the intensity of the passion that i had from a very early age and i think and, and, it, and it's really just a guess to be honest because it, it, it's something that i I actually think about quite often, you know, where this 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 really specific interest has come from. Yeah, and I think part of it's come from obviously living and growing up in the Cotswolds, uh, very high concentration of classic car owners, and there is a really strong um, sort of classic and collect car uh, culture. And I can only assume that it was the effect of sort of being in close proximity to all of that that that, that sort of spawned this interest. Um, I remember my grandmother having uh, one of the really early Honda Preludes with the pop-up headlights. Um, Brilliant. And that's one of my earliest, <laughs> earliest car memories, being obsessed with pop-up headlights. Um, and still am, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, and then sort of, from an early age, um, 
there was very much, especially it's sort of education and sort of my my upbringing. It was this, it was sort of this this culture of uh, my parents were particularly my mother. She was amazing at kind of helping me indulge this passion that I obviously developed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can remember one particular instance. Uh, it was a it was a network queue rally GB special stage at uh, Cheltenham Racecourse, which isn't too far away. And I remember I must have been pretty young because I remember I was so excited that I went and slept at the foot of her bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember it was a really early start. It was obviously the the, the, the depths of winter because I was a rally <laughs> GB. Um, and I remember us going out, it was dark, it must be about five in the morning, um, going to the race Racecourse. I remember being absolutely freezing cold. And I remember my mum doing an incredibly good job of kind of seeming enthused by the whole thing. Um, but now obviously we're old, she says, I was bloody freezing. <laughs> yeah. But I got, you know, I got to, I was a world rally obsessed. So got to see all of, uh, you know, uh, particularly Richard Burns. He he was a, he was a bit of an icon for me growing up and there's you know uh a few stories about that but um you know i got to see colin mccray tommy mackinnon you know it, and it was the it was the sort of the golden era of world rally it was your your miss it was it was mitsubishi versus subaru mm. um mccray um, at the time was in the uh the focus wrc car um so they were really they they were really good at helping me indulge that passion uh and they they were they were very encouraging but thank you for listening so far and before we get back to hearing more from our guests a huge thank you to those who support the podcast by listening and sharing it among friends and enthusiasts alike suppose you could help by becoming a patron by becoming a patron you can access live events and video podcasts these podcasts will always be and continue to be free forever but like anyone doing something out of passion i want to improve better guests audio and production if you're willing to give a small monthly amount and invest in my mission to inspire, inform and entertain by getting better equipment and giving me more time to invest back into the podcast. I would be forever grateful for anything you can provide. If you're currently on your journey to explore your passion for cars and need help introducing yourself to people in the industry, patrons will also be having a one-to-one with me to help advise and see if the network I have built during this podcast can help you achieve your goals. I will leave further information in the show notes below if you want to know more about how you can help. Um, I don't begrudge them for it, but there was very much the mentality that that was a that was a hobby. Um, okay. That, that that wasn't that wasn't something that you you could, you know, that the idea of I think like a, a lot of you know young kids who are into cars. You know, I wanted to be a racing driver. I remember, you know, uh, our leavers assembly. Um, you know, in, in year six uh you know everyone sort of stood up and said what they wanted to be and i remember i said i wanted to be a touring car driver because that was my other obsession yeah um and yeah it, it, but it was again it was this it was this this idea that it's it it, it was a sort of you know alex you know with his sort of you know obsession with cars and it, you know it's kind of thinking that's great but when you get a proper job quote unquote um you know you can afford to go and buy yourself cars and indulge that that hobby um and i didn't get on particularly well with school um for numerous reasons um adhd being a big one of a big one which obviously i'll sort of get onto a little bit later but yeah i didn't really didn't really engage with 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 sort of um academia in any any sort of meaningful way i think i scraped three c's at gcse yeah um i actually uh went into the ref when i was uh sort of 15 16 um wasn't for me uh and, and in all honesty sort of spent a few years kind of you know not really quite sure exactly what it was what direction i was going to take or where i was going and, you know definitely a bit of a low point um in in my life uh but then it was kind of a a weird series of you know, there were a few individuals who really believed in me and saw the potential and saw the, the passion and, mm. and sort of helped me sort of channel that into something, um, you know, something meaningful, something something that I could I could actually do as a, as a job. And this was a time where the, the you know, the idea of, uh, you know, working with cars 
in a capacity that that, that I found really enjoyable and sort of helped me indulge my passion on a, on a, on a daily basis was just in, inconceivable. I, I, I couldn't possibly imagine doing that. That was something that other people did. And again, it's one of those things that I often sort of sit and think back, you know, the, the, the series of events that have led to this point. I've got no university education. Yeah. Um, I, you know, especially in my late teens, I'm 20, I'm, I'm 30 now, um, late teens, early 20s. No, no, no professional background. Um, I think I got a, a, a Nikon D3300 DSLR when I was about 23. Um, I remember going to, into Curry's and buying this sort of X display model for about 280 quid with a kit lens and going around in auto, taking pictures of cars and uh, enjoying it, but being frustrated that I wasn't able to emulate you know, the, 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 the photographers that I sort of aspired to. And I think it was at that point that I realised that I, I really enjoyed the creative side of it. Um, and, it and it sort of it really resonated with me. You joined the RAF. It was just, I wanted to sort of touch on this. So what were you yeah, looking for, I guess? Because obviously if you've got into school, you've not got on with school. And it, um, I don't know if it, yeah. because teachers are great. Don't get me wrong. I love them. My mum's a teacher. But like, yeah. so were they, I guess... First of all, your parents aren't dismissive of of the idea of it, cars being a hobby. So what were you looking for, I guess, when you joined the RF? Were you looking for an outlet, yeah. an escape? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know if it was so much of an escape, more, more a sense of belonging. And I think I remember my cousin married a, uh, a, a pilot, an RF pilot. And I remember at a family barbecue chatting to him and... Uh, he gave me a very uh, sugar-coated version. Um, obviously, lace transpired that you know that it wasn't quite as sort of glamorous as as he'd made out. But I was I was a young lad, you know, I was obviously enthusiastic, and I was looking for sort of this purpose. And the idea had already come into my mind because I think I liked the idea of the camaraderie. There's always been this this sort of desire for adventure, and and I think. Rightly or wrongly, I sort of saw it as this opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, go and see the world. You know, he used to talk about going surfing in Belize and all these sorts of things, yeah. you know, all the great stuff that he got to do. And yeah, I just, it, I just got, I got really sucked into the idea, and that sort of became my, that became my entire reality. That was, that was sort of so. I joined. I remember I joined the earliest I absolutely could, which was, um, I was about fifteen and nine months. I remember it was about September and I went to the careers office in Gloucester and basically, you know, signed up, um, for lack of a better way of putting it. And there were various uh, psychometric tests, health tests. I then went to what, what's called a, because uh, I, I went into the RF regiment. So I then went to, I think it was RF Barnum. Um, on a what they call a potential gunner acquaintance course, which uh, basically is three days fitness tests, get get you slightly sort of acquainted to to military life. Um, it's weird because <laughs> obviously it was a long time ago, um, but it it seems like a really long time ago. Um, the only memories I have really of it being on the train, um, getting there doing star jumps at two o'clock in the morning because someone uh, kept talking. Okay, <laughs> uh, brilliant. Uh, so we got dragged outside two o'clock in the morning. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it whilst I, I, I obviously, you know, in hindsight, I look back and at the time that was sort of what I really wanted to do. Looking back now from a, from a, a point of sort of self-awareness and, and sort of understanding myself a lot better. I, I think I really was just looking for that sense of belonging. I was looking for that, that purpose mm. because, you know, I, I, I just, as I said, I didn't get along particularly well with education. And I think that I was to a degree conditioned to, I remember the, the, the phrase that used to come up a lot was, um, uh, what's it? has the potential or has the ability lacks the application um and i remember my science teacher at the time went as far as to describe me as an enigma which in <laughs> it's sort of i remember that was a report and that was all it said is alex is an enigma um obviously at the time i didn't know i had adhd um which 
it's been a, a really powerful period of kind of healing and and sort of self-awareness because I, I've developed a much greater understanding of myself and yeah. whereas before and I'm sure a lot of people listening can probably empathize when you're in that situation and, and you're being told that you're not particularly good at a specific thing especially when you're young because when you're a child your kind of caregivers whether it's your, your parents or your teachers or, or anyone that you sort of look up to um there isn't really the awareness that they can be wrong. There isn't really that that sort of awareness of the concept that adults can be wrong. So when you're told that you're not especially good at something, yeah. or in my case, you know, you're pretty damn crap at something, um, you internalize it and you embody that and and you take that with you. And it's it's only when you for me, there was a catalyst a few years ago where obviously I, I went and sort of embarked upon that journey of kind of getting to know myself better um, and, and developing a greater sort of, you know, self-awareness. And yeah. it was just, it took a while to, to properly engage with it. It took a while to sort of, um, I remember the first few weeks sort of really feeling as though uh, this isn't working. Um, I think I had it in my mind that there was this quick fix that you know um it, it, it's sort of like uh you go to a therapist and it's a bit like going to a, a chemist or a doctor and you, you know you, you sort of there's this magic pill that sort of makes everything better and i had this this perception in my head that that there were parts of me that i needed to fix mm. and there were and what i've been subconsciously doing is sort of um uh, suppressing the parts of me that I'd been conditioned to think weren't, you know, quote unquote good. And it was this idea of I was either good or I was bad and the shame that that induced. And it, it sort of, you know, looking back, sort of forgiving myself for things that I'd previously blamed myself for in terms of my sort of inability to, to do certain things, you know, whatever. Um, it's such a powerful thing. And I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but it's no, I'm just, something. yeah, sorry, Alex, I'm just, just trying to interest in the catalyst. So that thing yeah. that did, so what, what was that moment? Yeah, so I, I remember I sort of, start with the sort of the, the series of events leading up to it because they lend a bit of context but I was working um what was I doing at the time I was working in a, in a car dealership as a as a service advisor after sales advisor this was early 20s this was maybe 22 23 um and I wasn't particularly happy because well I know now that obviously I wasn't doing what I enjoy and yeah. I wasn't doing what I love, but because I, I, I couldn't really identify and and sort of isolate the, the factors that were making me sad, that that it was sort of this vicious cycle of I don't know, there isn't the awareness there. So so that it kind of compounds that sense of um that, that sense of sort of frustration and that sense of 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 that sort of existential sense that you know you're not going in the right direction and I remember I'd been over to see a close friend of mine who'd, who'd moved to Germany and you know I remember having a great time over there and you know as I mentioned before you know I have this really sort of intense desire to explore and go on adventures and and, and it was a great adventure you know uh, sort of especially Bavaria which is beautiful and I just remember feeling really envious of, of the fact that you know she, she'd moved and you know this whole new world and all these you know this new culture and these new opportunities and I remember thinking I want that yeah and I remember getting um you know playing back and I remember driving home from from Gatwick and stopping at a service station and a recruit <laughs> sounds 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 made up but a recruiter had emailed me about a job in in Guernsey um basically similar to what I've been doing now for, for a Honda and MG franchise on the island. Um, it was just as COVID was sort of on the, it was this distant thing that was happening a long, long way away. 
Um, yeah. It was in the news, but it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't sort of at the forefront of people's minds. And anyway, I went for a, a and I had a sort of a telephone interview. And then I went for a second interview at, um, at a hotel in London. And I remember meeting a friend in London afterwards. And this was about probably a week before lockdown uh, happened. And I remember being in a really packed uh, Mildred's in, in Soho, sort of packed, small little restaurant and people coughing and sneezing. And I remember not feeling particularly well as well. And then fast forward, week later, you know, I, I, I basically the recruiter said, you know, they really, really liked you. Um, but I didn't hear anything for weeks because, you know, he was going back to them. He was going back to me and he said, look, I don't know anything. I was fortunately still working in the job that I've been working before. So I, you know, I furlough and, um, you know, it was actually quite a, and I've got to be careful how I say this because I know everyone's experience of lockdown was very different for me personally it was the first time that I'd really sort of stopped in a while and, and sort of took stock. And whilst there were times where it was really difficult, I think I, I think I benefited from the time to sort of stop and break away from the rest of the world and just yeah. think really and do some gardening and whatever else. Um, and then anyway, uh, long story short, got offered the job, went over. Um, Guernsey, managed to being a, an island uh, um they managed to get a handle on the on the virus pretty quickly um i had to isolate for two weeks when i got over there uh, so my i'd never been to guernsey before uh, i literally had a car ride from the airport to a hotel that we've been put up with put up in me and this other chap we'd also started working at the same company um and and basically my my entire view of guernsey my only view of guernsey for two weeks was uh, the back of a row of terraced houses and we watched Fast and Loud for two weeks, and it was great. <laughs> um, Fast that and program. Loud, um, oh god! And, and, and escaped the chateau. You know, two 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 opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and then, yeah, it all just sort of progressed really quickly. Um, I was over there for eight months. Long story short, job wasn't what I expected it to be, um, and. I remember maybe not being actively aware of it at the time, but the effect of not being able to come home. Um, so restrictions for us eased very quickly, which was fantastic. I felt very grateful for, but I wasn't able to freely travel off the island and come back again, see family. I didn't really know anyone uh, apart from people that I worked with. So it was, it was a bit of a challenging time. And I think that I sort of pushed it down and pushed it down and I remember the point where I was like, I'm really going to go back. And I remember there was there was the sort of the the, the harbour, um, and I remember going and standing on the breakwater and watching the ferries go out to sea and thinking, I really, um, you know, and, and fantasizing about being on them and thinking, yeah. I, I need to, I need to get off the island. Um, I came home, no job, no little bit of money saved away but not much um and straight into january lockdown so came back in december that january lockdown at the start of whatever year it was i can't even remember um and yeah it got really bad because i i i was in my own company permanently and I was yeah. in some my own head permanently, and the, the the sort of the negative narrative that that I'd sort of lived with for 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 years, and um, the sort of self-deprecation and this this sort of um, self-annexing of, of 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 the parts of my mind that, as I said before, you know, I used to perceive as as being bad. Um, it it got too much, and I remember i can't remember exactly what the trigger was but i remember one evening just thinking that's it that's that's sort of you know that's the that's um you know that's that i can't do anymore can't do anymore yeah. so i remember i remember half eating dinner and just no appetite and going getting in my car setting off not really been quite sure exactly 
where I was going or what I was doing. Um, I remember messaging a friend of mine um, to say that I was sorry. And um, yeah, it, uh, it was, you know, <laughs> things with me is I always, I always worry about seeming melodramatic. Um, so, and it's something that I've tried to work on to sort of not brush it off, you know, that it was a really, really dark point. I don't know what, um, what the, what the intention was. Um, needless to say, I, I was, I was at rock bottom. I was in a, in an incredibly dark place. And, um, fortunately my mum got wind of it. Um, fortunately my, my mother's a, a psychotherapist. So yeah. she's always been really, um, you know, she she's always been very uh, sort of, you know, in terms of the practical mechanisms for for sort of dealing with with things, you know, she's always been very effective. And uh, she rang me, and long story short, I, I sort of went and stayed with with her for a bit, um, and just it was a little bit like a hard reset. Really, you know, I, I'd I'd hit that rock bottom. And there was no further down to go. And on the one hand, I felt complete despair, but there was that little glimmer of sort of, you know, I've still got plans, there's still things that I want to do. And that sort of small little kind of bit of light that was sort of shining through, um, it's sort of what kept me going. And, and I remember my first therapy session and I remember just talking and just talking. And I remember him just sitting there and looking at me and listening. And I remember thinking, why are you supposed to be saying things? You know, come on, fix me. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm here. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the thing that, you know, that, that, that people, that people do when they're, you know, when they come to therapists, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain freely how I was feeling. Um, but I was at the time keeping certain things back because there was that, that, that element of shame and I and that was the that was the kind of the, the the point the catalyst the tip of the mountain was sort of um I remember I was talking one session just going on and on and on just sort of and he and, and he and, and then I stopped and he sort of sat and looked at me for 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 a few moments and then he said what do you think when I when I say the word shame and at first I sort of thought, well, you know, everyone experiences shame. Shame is, is something that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an actual human emotion. And I, and I, and I said as such, I said, you know, shame is obviously, you know, you feel, feel ashamed about something. And he said, what if I was telling you that there are two types of shame? There's, there's the healthy shame that, that sort of is sort of acts as a, as a sort of a moral compass, but then there's this in almost, um, inherited shame there's this there's this what what he described as as chronic or toxic shame which is internalized where during our developmental stages so for me obviously um not realizing that i had adhd and obviously having a bad experience with with, with education there was a lot of internalized shame i just didn't realize it and then when someone sort of you know, in this instance, obviously my therapist shone that light on, on or, or brought that into awareness. Um, yeah. No word of exaggeration, my life changed. That that was, I don't know, three, four years ago, maybe. Well, I don't know, no, how's it can't be? It would have been, yeah, it would have been two years, wouldn't it? Two, it two, been, two, been, two, yeah, two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Whenever, whenever that, whenever the immediate sort of after that, that January lockdown. So, yeah, two years ago. Um, and I'd had lots of moments prior to that where I'd maybe listened to a great audio book or I'd heard a really inspirational quote and I felt this sort of temporary moment of elation thinking, yes, that's the, that's the awareness that I've been seeking. You know, everything's okay now. And then inevitably, because I hadn't really drilled down into the, into the core of what, what, what the issues were, um, I ended up back where I was before and, and that compounded the sense of despair because, you know, it was, it was a case of, well, I'm never going to get better because I, I, I get better. And then I, and then I sort of lapsed back into this, this sort of pattern of, of sort of, you know, peaks and troughs. And it, it was, yeah, it, it, I don't know when the point was where I, where I kind of consciously 
realized that I'm reluctant to say out the other side because it implies that I was out the other side of the the, the, the what seemed like that that incredibly long period of my life where I didn't have that self-awareness, where I didn't have that the the knowledge to equip myself to sort of deal with with what was going on. And yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? You never you never quite understand it. Yeah. Hundred percent, and 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 reframing, you know, this perception of being like I'm fixed. It's not a, it's not about that. It's about it's about self awareness. It's about it's about being trauma aware and 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 redefining what we perceive as trauma, the, mm. the things that affected us whenever they may be and whatever they may be. Um, and this this idea that trauma isn't just necessarily something violent or something you know um sort of really profoundly life-altering i mean it is it is profoundly life-altering but but in a much more sort of subvert sense in in that it, it's more about um sort of programming and and you know how we sort of program growing up and the, and the emotional mirroring that we have when we're growing up and you know at school and everything else and it has given me a real sense of and a, and a real passion for um how I approach others uh, and how I approach myself. And I remember one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given and something that, again, just totally changed my life um, was from my therapist. He said, when you realise that 99% of the people that you encounter in life are, uh, are knowingly or unknowingly projecting something in some way, shape or form, it totally changes your your perception of, of it totally changes the effect that, that their words and actions have. So for me, I remember that I used to be very heavily dissuaded when I created something or done something and someone mm. would subvertly belittle it or try and discount it. And I remember the point in time when I started to be consciously aware of the mechanisms that might be at play for them and what they were projecting onto me. Um, it, honestly, it, it, it's life-changing and I think I look, I look where I am now and it's people kind of say, you know, what was your, what was your sort of career trajectory? I mean, so, you know, it, it, it was a really weird one and people say, you know, what, what, you know, we all look at people who we aspire to and there's this natural human fascination with how they got there because, because we want to emulate it. We want to know what the recipe is. Yeah. And the one thing that I say to people when people say, you know, how did you get to where you are? And and I always say therapy, therapy, um, hard work, um, chance encounters, sometimes being in the right place at the right time, randomly. Um, but but self self-awareness, self-empathy um, are two of the most important and under-publicized sort of uh, tools or, or components of, of success, in, in my opinion. And how did you get to the point where you, I guess, not found a career or a purpose, because I guess that might be the, the wrong way of answering the question, but how did you find a sort of way to, because I, I can tell you're, you're a natural storyteller and you're, and what you do now is, is marketing. So how did you yes. find how did you find that connection and was it did it was it was it a natural thing or I guess um, how did you find yeah how did you find the connection with with that and cars? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one. I, uh, essentially, uh, probably. So the about June July after the same year um, after as, as so that January lockdown, the same year. I'm having to think really hard because the last few years. Uh, <laughs> I'm sort of what I, think, blur. What, what I think was a year ago was three years ago and when I think was three years ago it was six months ago um but long and short of it there were a few people in my life who have always um really championed what I do and recognized my ability even when I necessarily um, I mean I'm I didn't necessarily recognize it myself and there was a particular so when I was working um in my in an after sales role years ago uh i started doing these videos <laughs> and so you know someone would come along and from the marketing department and and you know I, th I think it was more the fact that no one wanted to do it and i thought that sounds like great fun yeah and i started doing these videos and people sort of said you know you're you're you know you, you're right at this you know you, you're pretty good at it 
And that really sort of spurred me on. And I started developing uh, sort of a, a belief in myself, but it didn't really truly come to fruition until I went through that, that process of therapy and self-discovery and, and then yep. really sort of recognizing the ability that was, that was there and the, and the potential and the, and, and that, that I had this passion and, you know, I wanted to share that with, with, with the world. And I, and a friend of mine or now friend of mine, um, Seb, who was, uh, he worked for Jaguar Land Rover at the time, um, still does, uh, so I'm going to send a link to him and then he can, he can, he can watch this and listen to this back. Um, he rang me out of the blue one day and said, how would you like a job? And he'd been trying to get me into the, into the marketing department uh, as a, as a sort of, you know, uh, bit of a sort of, I, I, at this point I'd been doing photography for a few years. Yeah. Um, I was reasonably, reasonably good, but you know, uh, I was still very much kind of, I hadn't really had a, um, a, a catalyst for sort of evolving it and utilizing it in a, in a, in a sort of a commercial capacity. And I've done a little bit of video work, but again, nothing particularly involved. Um, but he recognized the sort of the sum of all of my sort of attributes and skills and basically said, do you want to come, do you want a job? Yeah. And obviously I said, yes. <laughs> um, and so I started as a photographer and videographer uh, for the Listers Group. And I probably should mention at this point that, I, that I, I've been doing a few bits for, um, I've been sort of acting, uh, working as a runner um, for a production company for a few years at this point. Uh, not really absorbed much. It was more just a friend of mine uh, was, a, was a producer and he, uh, you know, it was all kind of art, uh, automotive and lifestyle. So Pete, if you're watching this, you know, he, again, he he sort of, you know, it, it was instrumental in sort of, you know, the journey that I've sort of been on, um, both as a friend and in a professional capacity. Um, so between them, obviously, Seb offered me the job. Um, and that really gave me the opportunity to sort of, truly sort of explore the extent of my my sort of my passion and my skills and evolve them and there was this natural um desire to absorb more information um and i remember just anyone you know any uh you know production company or anyone who's going on a shoot or i just i've literally just surrounded myself with with um every sort of creative influence that I possibly could, um, you know, started to learn the fundamentals, uh, you know, and, and really drill down into that. And that was about 18 months. Uh, and at this point I sort of felt like I was ready for a change. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff with the classic motor hub up at Bybring. And I'd uh, also been doing uh, a lot of stuff for my current employer. And I went, I, so the, the, the intention was to go freelance. I had a brand, I, you know, I'd mapped it all out. And I went to a meeting with my now current employer, Unity. And John, the CEO, who I'd met in passing a couple of times at events and things, um, we basically sat down and uh, he said, we want a commitment. Do you want to come work for it? And I remember thinking at the time, no, that's the whole thing that I've, you know, it's what I've just escaped. That's what, that's what yeah. I've just got away yeah. from. Um, but he's a very persuasive man. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the hook for me was the, uh, John's being into motorsport and uh, he's, a, he's a massive petrol head. So he's the CEO of Unity. And he obviously knew how to sort of press those buttons and, and fast forward three months, um, um, head of marketing for Unity Automotive. So uh, um, sort of very fast growing uh, main dealer group with 10 franchises and six sites sort of across Oxfordshire, Warwickshire and, and the West Midlands. Uh, and then through that, I uh, became involved with um, Dodge Ram UK, who are the official Stellantis importer of uh, all the great big American stuff, so Hellcats and uh, Ram 1500s and all the rest. 
Yeah. And again, um, you know, sat in a meeting, um, <laughs> do you want a job? And um, so I, it's very, as I said at the beginning of, of this, uh, of this chat, it's very hard to sort of put into sort of brief terms what it is I do. Um, I do marketing, I do creative, um, and yeah, it, it, it's. I think I think it's almost as trying to explain that the breadth of it is almost as 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 credibility reducing as this. Um, it, it's such a varied and eclectic mix of things, and and that sort of comes down to the fact that uh, being slightly neurodivergent and having this. Uh, just, just this natural creativity is that I'm always looking for outlets and I'm always looking for, and I used to, I used to be limited by the idea of, well, I can't do that because I do this and that's not what people do. And people will think it's really weird that I do all of these really weird, eclectic, different things. And, and then I started to sort of, sort of sit with that I with that thought and go well why 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 is it credibility reducing why, why do you think it's credibility reducing why do you think that it's you know this perception that it's this kind of this strange thing I think it probably comes down to the fact that I perceived that if I was doing lots of different things people would think that I wasn't necessarily particularly good at each one so I was sort of you know it's this 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 subvert sort of negative narrative that sort of has its way of kind of you know um sort of sneaking into your into your consciousness um is that is that what stopped you going full-time or was, was the offer from from the marketing companies just just that good just that good uh but actually you know as we're being completely honest and being you know um and you know i think i think there was a i think i, I think i think i was i was at a point where i was say 95 percent of the way there yeah and over the last year and a half, two years, I've recognized the importance of, of, of going slightly, you know, beyond your comfort zone and, and sort of throwing yourself into things because I always somehow swim and I know that I will. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that great, I'll be, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, and, and I know that I'll be empathetic with myself during the process so i felt a lot more willing to embark upon something that was that was sort of unknown and something that was that was you know a bit bit scary um but i think there was still i think it was more i don't think it was so much a doubt as far as my capability was concerned i think it was more the the mechanism of doing it and that instilled a sense of anxiety to a degree mm. um you know, little things like, you know, just, just, just the administrative side of it. I'm not very organized, um, naturally. Uh, and I'm, and I'm fully aware of that. And, you know, I, I think there was a, maybe, maybe a little bit of anxiety around that. Um, but I'm incredibly glad that I, that I made the decision that I made because, yeah. you know, three, four months down the road, um, it's been fantastic you know it's it's a it's a really fast growing uh entity you know it, it's it's taking on new franchises all the time and there's there's a lot of new ideas new people new ideas new new perspectives and and sort of coming in at a at a point in time with an organization where they're they're at that that sort of that pivotal moment where you know culture's evolving and and, and the business is growing and it, it for me is really really exciting because there's a there's a lot of um that the general sort of consensus is you know being very receptive to ideas and and, yeah. and new directions and list has really provided the springboard for me but they're one of the largest motor groups in europe well one of the largest privately owned motor groups in europe and 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 ch uh, change of direction wasn't really something that as a, as a sole individual you know, i felt very valued and I, I did feel i felt you know like i belonged you know i felt like i was you know mm -hmm. part of something um and i really enjoyed my time there but 
I wanted something more. I wanted to have more influence and and, and more creative free reign. And, and that's what, you know, being with, with Unity and, and Dodge has has provided, really. Yeah, so if I, if I was to say to you then, Alex, the next the next five, ten years are going to be some of the best five, ten years you're going to have. That means anything could happen. Um, there is unlimited plans for yourself. I mean, what do you see happening and is being freelance part of that or are you happy to carry on the path you are and are you looking for new opportunities there i think i think the exciting thing is and the thing that probably would have terrified me you know a few years ago is is there isn't really much of a vision beyond indulging my passion um evolving my my skills and being completely open and i think i think the thing that used to hold me back was this this sort of mental um, or this sort of self-imposed deadlines or these self-imposed sort of restrictions. Um, and I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know what it's like, you know, you obviously, yeah. you know, start, it, it's this, it's this thing of, um, you know, oh, I can't do that. It's that, it's that narrative. It's being conscious of that narrative where it's, uh, and particularly, you know, a bit like you're doing a, you know, obviously the, the podcast and and me sort of, you know, doing the creative side of things. There, there's there's a, there's a uh, it's 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 very easy to sort of slip into the into the sort of the the mindset of well, other people are doing it, and the perception is that they're doing it a lot better. So you think, well, there's no way that that I could possibly have market share in that or there's no way that I could possibly sort of you know make anything of that because there's too many people doing it I'm not as good as them I will never be as good as them so I'm not even going to try and now obviously sort of speaking from a a, a place of sort of self-empathy and and self-awareness it's this that there's been a real shift within me that that actually you know, I realized that anything's possible. I mean, look at, look at, you know, um, as I say, you know, head of marketing for a, for a big motor group. Uh, three years ago, I had no job. Yeah. <laughs> and I never worked yeah. in marketing in my life. Um, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I, and I think that the reason that more people don't open their minds to the possibility of, of chasing their dreams and chasing mm-hmm. their goals is, it is a sort of I think I think there's a, there's there's a couple of major kind of elements to that. I think one of them is is people projecting onto them, you know, consciously or subconsciously or subvertly or or, or whatever that, that it's not possible. And, and what a lot of people are saying, if they kind of belittle or or try and pick faults in such a way that it's intended to dissuade you from pursuing that particular um, thing. Uh, is that what they're often saying is, well, well, I can't do that. I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I don't have the self-belief that I can do mm. that. So, so it, it almost, it, 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 it attacks something that's fundamental to them. And it's almost this kind of slight resentment of, of sort of seeing people get on and do things. And that's something that I've been becoming increasingly conscious of, um, particularly when it's sort of, little subtle kind of subvert nuances and it comes from friends family relationships whatever it might come from and i think one of the one of the sort of biggest things is is being aware of that um and 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 sort of bringing that what's being projected onto you taking the valuable advice i mean it's it's, you know it's 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 picking and choosing that it's taking yeah it's taking the stuff you uh, want you want to use and Absolutely, and, then, and why not you? I guess at the end of the day, why not? Why, not why can't you have that? That life. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And everyone else, everyone else has has. I I, I guarantee that ninety nine percent of the people who 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 we aspire to, who are, who are who are doing the things that we look at and think, God, that that's not possible. A lot of them will have been in exactly the same position where they'll have gone. They'll have seen people that they aspire to, and they'll have gone. Well, well, there's no way. And and I think it is. It, it, you're absolutely right. You, you've you've sort of summarized my long rambling <laughs> analogy very succinctly in that why not me why not me and yeah. i think it's really important to when you feel that self-doubt sort of 
creeping in is is that conversation with yourself or that 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 exchange with yourself of well okay why not why why couldn't it be you and yeah it's 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 a cliche for a reason um but mentality and an outlook are are so fundamentally important and that's not to say that we shouldn't acknowledge all of the parts of ourselves you know the the, the moments the low moments everything everything yeah. should be brought into awareness but also it, it, it it's that it's that sort of chain reaction of self-awareness self self-empathy self-belief you know and then that that sort of that you know heading on you know, on that path that that you want to head on um it's, and, yeah, it's, it's consistency yeah. isn't it because in the, the day there's, there's one thing i've learned is that it, I, I say i i feel like what you said i resonate quite a lot is that i am a bit neurodivergent if you if i look at the words that you're using i i last yeah. year i i tried to start six different companies i didn't get any further than re- any it's further than, than registering them in company's house but yeah, i bet you yeah. i did try and start six companies and it was the end of yeah. 2022 where i was like right pick something just yes and it was yeah. and it and I still, I still have these ideas, and they, they go on a shelf. I call them my shelf. Um, like all, these, yeah. all these ideas that I just because some of them are good, I think, <laughs> some of them yeah. are absolute, yeah. an absolute tosh. But they go on a shelf, and if I ever guess if this ever drops off, but I, um, I've got a shelf, so that I've, that's yeah. what I always say is is keep the ideas that you like the idea of, but don't don't stop the thing you're doing because traction. Hundred percent. I think it's the it's the um it's the law of exponentials. Saying if you carry on doing something no matter what you're doing you're only gonna get exponentially better at it the the law of one percent is that you keep 100%. gaining on top of yourself but yeah yeah and alex i mean i know we're sort of coming towards the end here and there's there is sort of a, a questions i have in there and there's sort of the the fast five waiting for fast and furious to sue me um i hope they do i need the marketing <laughs> but the like first it. one but what is the what is the ultimate three car garage for you no no time money or any restriction on these three cars what would you pick First one's Ferrari F40, um, like, without, like it. without question, straight off the bat. I mean, that is just, I mean, it was it, it was my bedroom wall poster car. I still just think it looks properly mad. It, it just totally encapsulates the whole mad flamboyant supercar kind of entity for me. Um, series one Jaguar type roadster. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I need something... Uh, sort of fairly versatile because those are two um <laughs> fairly compromised cars from a practical probably go for, probably go for an audi rs2 the 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 the, yeah. the porsche yeah. Audi, that car porsche is, yeah yeah absolutely that that's just always i mean i've i've missed the boat on them now the prices have gone stratospheric but i still long after them one day that's yeah <laughs> no reason why not there you go. No, no reason Absolutely. why. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Why not? Why not? Brilliant. So yeah, uh, that, that, I'm going to lock that in as my <laughs> before I change my mind because I probably will well, tomorrow. It's 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 only three. I mean, I change every second. Every time I ask this question, I think of three new more ones. And it, it, I, if ever or not, <laughs> ever, ever ever anyone ever asked me, the answer would change every five seconds. So yeah, at least you can pin it down to three. Um, the yeah. next one being, and again, you you don't have to use those three cars, but you've got yeah. one car. To drive on any track or road in the world, but you can only do it once. Where are you going? What are you taking? I'd probably take a Lotus Type Fifty One A around Goodwood. Um, yeah, just purely very evocative car, very evocative race circuit. Both very heavily steeped in history. I think when I really, really think about it, there's a lot of cars I'd love to drive, but I think that's, yeah, that's the ultimate for me. Definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. I think it's an amazing circuit. I went to, do you, do you been to, I'm guessing you've been to Revival. Yes. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant day out. Um, next question being sort of, what's the most important modification you personally think you can make to a car? Um, I have this obsession with bolting pointless things to cars. Um, had a roof racks. <laughs> roof racks. Um, I had a Mercedes C63 with a with a light bar on the front once that um, used to cause a lot of 
controversy yeah (laughs) yeah so um yeah i'd probably say roof rack i know that's so dull but i would probably (laughs) can't believe i'm saying town 30 now um yeah i'd probably i'd probably say either roof rack or unnecessary oversized driving lights that would be yeah stuff that you can take a performance car off road with sounds like hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like pissing off purists. It's, it's good fun. <laughs> so, no, brilliant. Um, next one is again. Again, I, I preach this a lot, but this podcast is all about inspiring people to do something with their passion. And I, I do this by just asking who inspires you, the people, the the, the things that like what in your life inspires you the most, and who inspires you the most. Yeah. Um. First and foremost, uh, big guy Martin fan uh just my mum's from Yorkshire um he's just he's just I like his his just raw sort of unadulterated passion for all things mechanical the guy's super down to earth um and that really resonates with me that you know he's he's yeah on 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 many levels he's a big inspiration uh there's various um sort of photographers that sort of come to mind. Um, uh, forgive me, Nigel, if I'm pronouncing your surname wrong, but Nigel Hahnemann, um, Jason Fong. Um, yeah, there's, there's... There's a lot. There's a, there's a yeah. lot of people who who do in different capacities. Um, but yeah, uh, weirdly, David Coulthard. <laughs> um, yeah, right. it, 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 yeah. Mostly people who sort of either creatively or in terms of their sort of their 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 outlook on life um, sort of embody what 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 I like to embody. Perfect. And and the last one, Alex, being if you could give any advice to someone that wanted to pursue the passion or wanted to maybe the advice you would have given to your younger self, what would it have been? Be very discerning about who you listen to um, and, and, and who, who, who you allow to affect your, your energy and passion, um, you know, develop self-awareness, um, develop really crucially develop self, self empathy. Uh, and, and just, as I say, just, just, take on board um advice and and guidance but but be very aware of the nature of of the input that that people are having uh and just when you look at other people and and that narrative the sort of the 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 narrative that's often the loudest which is i could never do that bring it into awareness don't shove it away and don't kind of say you know I might be on something there. Try and look past that and think, do you know what? As we said before, you know, why why can't it be you? Uh, anything is possible. And it and just because there's this predetermined time frame that, you know, people kind of assume you've got to go to university, get a job and work your way up. Passion is is the ultimate sort of expediter of destiny. I think, you know, it's it's this if you've got passion and if you have, you know, ability or, or the, the foundations of that ability, um, you know, anything is possible, but passion, passion is the, is the big thing. And passion is so infectious and passion will open the doors that you want to open uh, and, and just never shy away from just letting it all out all the time. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a, that a fantastic place to leave it. Uh, very on brand, if I say so myself. <laughs> but yeah, Alex, thank you for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure to have this chat. I've really enjoyed it. Been really, really good. Thanks so much. And yeah, I'm I'm aware I've just rattled on for about an hour, um, which is pretty good going for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to catching up soon. Alex's passion for cars and self-development is inspirational. After lockdown, I spent much time working on who I want to be, and I still am. We must give more than just our time to our careers. But as I've learned through previous experience, it blinds you from life's most fantastic offerings. And through those offerings, you can find more than a love for cars. This happiness, relationship, and experiences you can't exchange from any amount of money. 
But being career focused is a lifestyle and a lifestyle that I realize is becoming increasingly more important to me. So I look forward to bringing you bigger and better guests and inspiring you to do more with your passion for cars. And so with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is lucky enough to be sponsored by iliketorace.com, a brand new social network all about motorsport. And unlike other certain social medias, it's not toxic and it is just full of people that love motorsport and competition. I mean, I'm competitive by nature to the point where I've got a bit too aggressive in certain ways. I mean, just to, just to think of the place I can now go to discuss McLaren and to discuss the ongoing drivers and who's going next. I was gutted when Daniel left, but I can't wait to see how they progress and get other people's opinions on I Like to Race. I'll be getting there, getting involved. So if you're like me and you love competition and you love motorsport, and if you want more information, look to the show notes below. Now, back to the episode. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and along with all of you that share the podcast already, it's excellent to see that we're in the top 10% of most shared podcasts over 2022. And that blows my mind to know that you are helping however you can to spread the podcast. And if it just helps one person to figure out what they want to do, with their passion for cars, it's so worth it. So, if you wouldn't mind, share it with as many people as you possible, and anyone that you know that loves cars.